I just wanted to make mention, this isn't part of the message this morning, but I, I thought this was so interesting. In Psalm 136, 26 times the Bible calls us to honor God, to praise God. And it ends with this phrase, because his mercy endures forever. I mean, 26 times it says that, for his mercy endures forever. For his mercy endures forever. For his mercy endures forever. God has declared his mercy throughout his word. In the time when Jehoshaphat, who was a king in Judah, was under attack by a great army that was far able uh, to overcome Jehoshaphat and his little army, um, they were doomed. They were just going to be wiped out and their women and children would be just abused by this army. All Jehoshaphat could do was pray. And he saw God and God raised up a prophet and God said to Jehoshaphat that he's heard his prayer and that this battle is the Lord's and God's going to fight for them. But they had to go out against the enemy. They had to go face the enemy. And the way God told them to do it was to, to send out in front of the army singers. And the Bible says when they began to sing and to praise and this is what they said the whole, the whole day. This is what the army said as they were going out in front in battle. For his mercy endures forever. For his mercy endures forever. Isn't it wonderful to, to, to understand that our expectation for God's goodness is not our goodness. But his mercy endures forever. And the mercy that God extended to men and women in the past and through his word his mercy endures forever. It's today. It's fresh and new every morning, Jeremiah said. In the midst of problems and tribulations in life, his mercy endures forever. And we might sometimes, out of logic, give ourselves reasons as to why we just don't feel like praising God right now. I don't feel like honoring God right now. I'm just showing up and this is, this is, this is as good as it gets for God today. But his mercy endures forever. And we should praise him because of that, because his mercy endures forever. <clears throat> and I was um, speaking with a good friend of mine this past week, Michael Gibney. Um, he's a Lutheran pastor of a church in Denham Springs. And we were just meeting. He said he had listened to my message last Sunday morning, which I was honored that he did. And he was he was just moved by it. And he said, I had uh, I had learned something about mercy. And he said, I'd like to share it with you. So he gave me this definition of mercy. And I, th I thought, man, that is incredible. I want to share that with the church. And he, he first of all told me that mercy is a word in the Greek New Testament that is, you, it's just impossible to, find, to define with like one or two words. It can only be defined in, in really a sentence and that falls short. And so if you were to define mercy, it would be something along this line. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. Isn't that wonderful? Second part of that is I have the right to expect nothing. But he gives me everything. He gave his son. He gives me everything. Maybe you're here this morning and you just think, you know, I just don't have a lot of expectation this morning. Because you know who you are. You know, you know what you are. But, but God's like, but I'm not like you. 
I'm not like you. And, and so if, if you're here this morning and, and you just, you know, feel like I, I just, because I know God and because I know God is love and I know God's merciful, I, I do believe that God can help me. And I do believe, believe that God wants to help me. But if you understand mercy, it's not just even the fact that God will just help you a little bit today. I'm going to give you a little boost so you can kind of get into Monday and have this week and maybe it'll help you live better for me. But no, God says, I'm not interested in giving you a little boost. I, I want to give you everything, everything. I want to give you more than what you need. That's incredible. God is an amazing God. Don't you just love him? I mean, isn't he marvelous? Isn't it just wonderful seeing these songs about Jesus and you just, you can just, your heart just shouts and you just can just shout to God and rejoice or fall on your knees before God because he's so real and you just, you're in love with him. Praise God. Jesus is beautiful. I want to read today from Luke 14 and this, this message I think it was birthed in about three minutes, um, just something that I really heard in my spirit, and I thought, I just want to share that with the church. <clears throat> and so I'm going to begin in Luke, this is uh, chapter 12, Jesus is hanging around some Pharisees, they're inviting him over, um, they're inviting him for dinner, uh, they're also trying to trap him because they had this meal that they invited Jesus to, and uh, before Jesus got there, they, they, they had a man that was sick, um, sitting in front of Jesus when he walked in. And so Jesus knew this was a trap. They're trying to catch him to do something wrong. And he said, how many of you, if you had an oxen and it fell in a ditch on the Sabbath day, would pull it out? And they couldn't answer the question because they know they've all done something like that. And so he said, is it wrong to heal on the Sabbath day? And he heals this man. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, they're just so angry with Jesus. You know, they, they don't know how to box this guy in. And he's just, he's just living so free and beyond them. And he talks about a wedding and he talks about when you go to a wedding, don't sit in the front, lest somebody with more honor comes and the, the host has to come and say, Hey, pardon me, but you know, would you mind moving to the back so this guest can come up? That'd be so embarrassing, you know? So he said, sit in the back because it's better if somebody asks you to come to the front with honor. So I'd like to ask all of you in the back and in the balcony to come to the front, please. <clears throat> and um, we want you up because I know exactly what some of you are thinking. You're thinking like I would. I want to sit in the back, you know, and I want to sit by the door. I want an easy out, you know. And so that would be me. Um, but so Jesus is dealing with this, and he comes to this point about a dinner, and this is really neat. He said, and I want you to read it with me. This is in verse 12, <clears throat> and he said to him that invited him, he said, when you make a dinner or a supper. Call not your friends, nor your brothers, neither your kinsmen, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you again, and a recompense be made. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, why don't you do something unique in life, and why don't you plan to do something for somebody? It's going to cost you something, but plan to do something really good to somebody else that cannot pay you back. It, it's, it, they're just not going to do it. Because a lot of times we do things and, you know, we're always kind of thinking what's in it for me. Maybe I'll get, some, even if it's people that I love and, you know, I'm just really wanting to give a gift to them, but I, I want their accolades, you know, their love. Oh, it's so wonderful. Thank you so much for thinking about me or having me over. 
But to do something for people that just cannot repay you. They're, they're just not going to do it. That, that's what Jesus is stirring up in the people. And he says, when you make a feast, <clears throat> call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you shall be blessed, for they cannot recompense you. For you shall be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. That's a great promise, you know. Jesus is telling us, listen, when you do things in this world, and not preaching in a pulpit, and not going on a mission trip, um, not moving to India, <clears throat> but when you just do things for people in, a, in, in great sacrificial ways, maybe extravagant ways, I, that's what I think about when I think about a feast, you know, it's not a McDonald's Happy Meal, it's something that's really nice, and, and you do something for somebody that cannot repay you, Jesus said, listen, though they can't recompense you, you will be at the resurrection of the just. And, and that just means God is keeping a record of the things that you do. They're not overlooked. He's not going to forget them. Maybe everybody else in the world forgot them. People didn't give you the praise that you wanted to receive. Happens to us all. But God's not going to forget. He's not going to forget your labor of love that you show to the saints and you show to people. And it's, it's going to be rewarded. And Jesus is really trying to bring us into a real joyful way of living life. It really is. It's better to give than to receive. And when a lot of times, if, or, or if you're a, a giver with manipulation in your gifts, it's so bitter. Even in the giving of it, it's so bitter because your expectations are filled with what you want, you're going to get back. But when you're just, the, the manipulation's gone out of it, the strings attached have gone out of it. I just want to be good and I want to show love and kindness to people that are not really receiving it from others. They're overlooked in life. They're too poor to pay me back. Maybe they're, they're, they're maimed. They're, they're disfigured and therefore they're really embarrassed about the way that they look and not too many people kind of want to hang around them. They're not the kind of people you want to invite to a party. I want to invite them. I want them to come over. I want to be around them. I, I want to be able to show them love and kindness. And, and I want to do that because they're precious in God's sight. And, and thank God we can even expect a recompense from God at the resurrection, right? But to, to maybe not even do it for that reason. Just to have the joy of doing it. And so Jesus is instructing these Pharisees to do this this way. And so he's given this wonderful story and this Pharisee, you know, he's just like so excited to respond back. That's really good, Jesus. And listen, how blessed it's going to be when we get to eat in the kingdom of God. Oh, wow. All right, here comes Jesus's answer. It's not going to be fun. This is not going to be fun for him. I mean, he was just all excited about this. And Jesus gives this parable. And I want to read it. Verse 16, he said, A certain man made a great supper, and he invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. There's two invitations. One is... He sent out an invitation to announce to all of his friends that I'm going to have a dinner and I would like for all of you to come. <clears throat> and then after the dinner was ready, he went, he sent back to them to let them know it's ready. And now I'm expecting you to show up because I already invited you to come and I thought you were going to come. And they began to make excuses. So let's see this. <clears throat> 
Verse 18, they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray you have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray or I beg you, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. I thought that was interesting. That's very interesting. There's so many rabbits running right now. Um. I heard Billy Graham preach on this verse one time before, and he said, that's the only excuse that makes sense. <laughs> um, I want to I thank you wives that let your men serve Jesus. I want to thank you. Because of a truth, there's a lot of men who cannot serve God because of their wives. But there are some great women of God who let their husbands serve, let their husbands lead, let their husbands go on mission trips and into the mission field to serve God. But sometimes and through history, there have been certainly been those situations where a wife just made it so a man could not continue that pursuit. I think Jesus might be digging at some of that. We'll come to this in just a moment as to why I think that. So that servant came and he showed his Lord all these things, these three excuses. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind And the servant said, Lord, it is done as you have commanded, and yet there's room. And the Lord said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Jesus wants his house to be full. He wants the banquet to be full. For I say to you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. So though they were invited and he really wanted them to come because of their excuses as to why they could not come, it didn't stop the banquet, but they would be prevented from eating from it. And he says in verse 25, and there went a great multitude with him and he turned and he said to them, because this is like all the same night. Even as you go into chapter 15, this is like this one sitting in a Pharisee's house. Jesus is just talking about all this. This isn't like another week. This is just that same night. And he says in verse 26, and this is why I think of the, the, the family relationship and stuff like that. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children And brethren and sisters and yes and his own life also 
He cannot be my disciple. Wow. And, and all of this is being told because there was a man, a Pharisee, who was really excited when Jesus was saying, hey, when you make a feast, do something for people that can't pay you back and invite them over. And God will bless you at the resurrection. And this it was mentioned in the resurrection. This guy's like really excited about it. It's going to be wonderful when we all get to eat in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is kind of saying to this Pharisee, you probably won't. You probably won't make it because in chapter 15, same scenario, it's the same house, the same sitting, the same dinner. In chapter 15, Luke gives us this explanation that the sinners were pressing in on Jesus. I mean, they were really attracted to Jesus, the poor, the maimed, the halt, the lame. The, the, the disfigured, the, the people that were not socially acceptable, the, the people that were not, you know, affluent in society, they were really pressing into Jesus. And these Pharisees were just kind of sitting back thinking, hmm, he fellowships with them. He's a friend to them. And what they meant to kind of mock him or slander him, I think Jesus received it as an incredible compliment. I'm really glad that you saw that. And he gives another parable to them. But man, what we just read, that's really strong, isn't it? I mean, that's really strong. And, and this is what Jesus said. So we want, <clears throat> we, we're not going to try to make an excuse. Just listen to the force of it. Verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children... And brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. We can have an altar now. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He talks about the building of a tower or going to war. He says, you don't just, you know, hey, I think I'll build a tower today. No, first you draw up the blueprints, you consider the cost of it, or I think we'll go out to war. You know, let's just go fight somebody. No, you're going to find out if we fight this particular battle, can we win? If I'm going to build a tower, can I do it successfully? How much is it going to cost me? Do I have the money to do that? And so he's making these examples because Jesus knows the cost. If anything can take you out of me, it will. Even your own life. If your wife can take you out of me, it'll happen. If your husband can take you out of me, it'll happen. If your oxen can take you out of me, it'll happen. If the properties that you're wanting to buy and go look at can take you out of me, it'll happen. Notice, if you will, that these people who were invited to his feast... They weren't horrible sinners and, and their excuses were not, you know, sinful excuses. They weren't like, I'm really addicted to some, some, you know, meth and all of that right now. And I, I'm just not presentable, presentable to be able to come. No, their, their excuses are like, you know, business. We've got business and family, business and family, business and family, business and family. Is that not the case in our world today? Business and family. 
And, and, and so Jesus is, is inviting people to come, multitudes of people to come. I've created a great feast and I want you all to be there. And, and, and he sends his servants out and says, Hey, it's ready. And I might, you know, say to you today, today is the day of salvation. You know, don't harden your hearts. It's in the day of provocation and put it off. Today is the day of salvation. But we, but we say, wait a minute, Jesus, business and family, would you please excuse me? And he's not talking, obviously, he's not talking about a momentary meal. Because he, he uses this to go into an explanation about the cost of discipleship. And the cost of discipleship is just this fact that if I'm not the most important person in your life, if I am not the God of your life and the Lord of your life, then whatever truly is, is what you're going to end up serving. If it's your wife, or if it's your husband, or if it's your children, or if it's your jobs, or if it's your careers, that's what's going to take you away from me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And it's not so much that Jesus is refusing you to even sign up as a disciple. Jesus, in fact, is saying, I'm the builder of the tower. I'm the one that does that. I am the king going out to war. And I know what it takes to build this tower. I know what it takes to win that battle. And whoever's going to walk with me into the victory, I have to be the God of your life. And whatever gets in the way of that is what your real God is. And they're going to pull you out of me. You're going to come up with an excuse and it's going to make sense to you. It's going to seem right to you and it's going to pull you out of me. And, and listen, guys, when, when Jesus says that if you don't take up your cross and follow me, he's, we always, we hear the word cross and we immediately think of the torture and the suffering and the pain and the agony of the cross. And, and that is true. It certainly denotes all of that. But, but don't just default to that. Because Jesus lived his whole life demonstrating the cross. At the end of his life, that demonstration of his heart and his life to the will of his father was physically and openly demonstrated on a Roman cross. But that wasn't the first time the cross was seen in Jesus' life. It was seen in his life when he was led by the Spirit up into the wilderness where he was tempted of the devil. And Jesus demonstrated the cross as he chose the father's will over his own will. And that's really what the cross is. It's not choosing a life of suffering. It's not choosing a life of agony. It's not, it's not choosing a life of tragedy. Oh, and, and that's the disposition I think that a lot of modern day Christians give to the world when they ask to follow Jesus and take up the cross. It's like, oh my gosh, it's this agonizing life of suffering and pain and tragedy. No, it's not. And that's not what Jesus is really implying at all. All he means by the cross is this. Whatever gets in the way of you and God, get it out. That's it. And whatever gets in the way of you and God is going to get in the way of your joy. It's going to get in the way of your victory. It's going to get in the way of your peace. It's going to get in the way of life and liberty and everything that God has for you. So he says... Take up your cross. Don't let anything between you and God. <clears throat> and that's all he means by that. Or when you come to this word hate, it's hard to understand because we as Americans have our initial definitions of hate and what that means and what that looks like. Just like we do with love, you know. I really love peanut butter. 
and I love my wife. But I, I don't mean that I love them the same. <clears throat> so the Bible has all of these words for love, like phileo and agape and eros types of love. And <clears throat> when you read that in, in the Greek, then if you read in Greek, then you would read, you know, and if you phileo your, your, your brothers on this earth and so forth like that. And how God, for God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's how you would read that. But we as Americans, we just take all of those words and make it love. And so we take all of these words and we make them hate. And so we think of hate like hate. And that's not the implication that Jesus is giving there. He's just saying this, that if there's any priority in your life other than me, that is going to take you away from me. And it's happened. Dr. Phil has convinced a multitude of parents today to put their children in bed by 730 and put them on a rigorous schedule that's going to be a delightful thing to them. I say put them to bed in their pajamas on an altar in church. Honestly. Look at our generation. I don't want the counsel from this world to tell me how to raise a snowflake. I, I, want, I want the living God to be able to instill in me the education and the structure so that I can raise men who are going to be men, women who are going to be women, and people who are going to serve God with their life, and, and they can handle some things in life. And, and they'll grow up realizing life is not all about me. And when I get to the university and I get offended, I don't need a safe space. I don't need that. I'm not going to fall apart. I've got a mighty God in my life who holds me together and he's my strength. And, and that's what I desire to have. I want people to encounter God. I want them to encounter the life of God and the power of God and the strength of God. This is what it takes to, to live with Jesus Christ. And to fulfill this walk with him and this life with him. And it's very real. <clears throat> and it's very true. So in this example, I'm, I'm thinking about these people who were the friends of this man who was making a feast. Because he first invited his friends, of course. The other people that he went out to invite, he didn't even know. He just said, go the highways, the hedges, the alleyways, the byways. Find the poor, the maimed, the lame, the suffering. We don't have to know them. Just fill my house up. Just fill it up. There are multitudes of people today who are invited to the feast of Jesus. But they have all the happiness they want in the world. It's not important to them whether they go or not. Only if it's convenient. And if it's not convenient, I have a, an excuse I think is sufficient. But when you read this chapter, it's not sufficient to Jesus. We want Jesus at the funeral to get him to heaven. But we don't want him at the board meeting or the business meeting or the sales meeting telling me how to live my life. I want Jesus at the wedding to bless the vows. I don't want him at the ceremony. Because we want to drink. We want to dance to the world. But we certainly want him at the wedding ceremony so he can put his seal of approval on us. 
The fact that they refused to come did not change him. But they would eventually miss out on that. I don't understand all the implications of this. It's a parable. I'm not going to try to establish a doctrine. But I will say this to you that's very true. Jesus is inviting every one of us. And our excuses are not going to hold water with him. And, and there should not be anything that stands between us and Jesus. I, I mean, he even says wife there. That's pretty strong. He, he even says wife there. And we could put husband there for those that are married and have, have a husband in their life. Jesus doesn't want to give us a miserable life. He wants to give us an incredibly beautiful life, a happy life, a life of freedom and victory. And my, my, my thought was this. <clears throat> Why do we spend in, in our generation of Christianity, why do we spend so much time trying to get the church to church? When I say, let's go get the ones that really want to come. I don't mean that to be harsh or rude. But this generation of Christianity has overlooked the poor and the maimed and the lame and the broken for the socially acceptable. Those that can contribute. But we go after the ones that it's not that important to them. It's, it's not that important to me that I'm at a prayer meeting. I got other things to do. It's not that important to me that I'm at a youth group or a Sunday school meeting or a, or a Wednesday night service or a mission trip. It's just not that important to me that I miss a meal once a month and put it in an envelope and give it to mission. It's just not that important to me. But I believe that there are hundreds of thousands of people on the streets of Baton Rouge. That it would be important to. I believe that there are a lot of people in our town. Who are poor. And they're maimed. And they're crippled. And they're blind. And they're hurting. And they're abused. And they're molested. And they're lost. And they're scared. And they're torn up. And they have addictions. And they've got problems. And they've got bondages in their life. And we were to approach them and say. That the great God. The Lord. Desires to bring you into his family. And give you freedom. And victory. And liberty. And healing. And deliver you from the things that are destroying your life. Do you know. Do you know. Now listen to me. This, this has been said. I've heard it so many times. I, I suppose that it's true. I have no reason to disagree with it that the majority of people you know as friends and that you work with, if you ask them sincerely as a friend to come to church with you, to come to a feast, they would eventually come. The reason a lot of our friends and neighbors do not go to church is because oftentimes they're not even asked. Not even asked. And so I just say, let's throw a really big net out there. 
And let's go out into the alleyways and the hedges and the byways. And let's invite as many people who will come. Whether they can recompense it or not. But invite them to come. Come to the feast of our God. Come to this. And, 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 I, and I, say to, I, say to, I say this to us. You know that God desires for his house to be full. I want to live. And I do live with this. This is something that... that oftentimes stirs me and motivates me, but I oftentimes think about the day that I'm going to be in heaven. And one of the great desires of my life is, is that when I'm in heaven, that there would actually be quite a few people there as a result of me giving an invitation for them to come to Jesus Christ. And be able to come to the great feast of God in heaven. There's going to be one. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And, and I want them to be there. I want the rich to be there. I want the wealthy to be there. I want the healthy to be there. But if they don't want to come, I want the poor to be there and the halted and the blind and the lame. I want them to come. I want everybody to be given the opportunity. Come to the Father's house. He wants you there. He wants you there. And they don't want to pass anybody up. I would, I would want to live in such a way that we can populate heaven. From every race and every tribe and every kindred and every tongue and every people. That we could populate heaven with it. And we would populate our church with it. We wouldn't look around and just see so many white people. But we would have a representation of our culture. Because there would be the love of God and there would be the beauty of God. And the beauty of God's people and the compassion of the Holy Spirit upon the hurting and the broken. To bring them into Jesus Christ where they would find love. They would find acceptance. They would find salvation. They would be given life and freedom and power. Oh, don't you want that? And I desire for that. I want to live in such a way that I can fill up the house of God. Because I can hear. Like like in my spirit... Oftentimes, when I read this story, I, I can I can hear, you know, there's still more room, you know. There's old hymn we used to sing, you know, there's room at the cross for you. Hey, there's still room. There's plenty of room. There's a lot of room. And so you can come. There is a table for you. There is a chair for you at the Father's house. He has provided for you. He's asked me to tell you to come. The, the broken, the poor, the lame, the maimed, the rich, the healthy, the wealthy, everybody. He's invited you to come. Don't make an excuse as to why you can't. Whatever that excuse is, pull it out of your life and say, I will, I'll be there. I'll be there. It's about discipleship, all right? Don't, don't think of it in the terms of, and I kind I know I kind of laid it out there, prayer meeting or Wednesday night or youth meeting or, or Sunday school, and I know I kind of lay it out there just as a visual, but it's really discipleship. It's really discipleship. That's really what, what this is cutting at, is that I want to be able to live with Jesus Christ. I want to be able to walk with Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to let my business get in the way. I'm not going to let my family get in the way. But I would pray to God that I could bring my business into a walk with Jesus Christ. And I could bring my family into a walk with Jesus Christ. So that my children are worshiping God with me in church and on the platform. And serving God with me in the altars. That I didn't lose my children on my walk with God. But somehow there was a beauty of Christ in my life that it attracted them to Jesus, and they wanted to stay there. And that my business could be put into the hands of God, because if God could bring it this far through me, what might he be able to do if I started doing things through him? 
How might God begin to bless the business? Which in our culture today and in our inflation today, we certainly need to walk in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and knowing everything that God has for us and everything that God wants for us. So I want to close with this in 1 John chapter 1. I pray that you hear my heart. And I pray that we would be able to have a heart that would reach everybody and bring them all in. But multitudes who would come so quickly if they only knew. If they only knew. And John says in 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we've seen it. Bear witness and show unto you that eternal life. Which was with the father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard declare we to you. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father. And with his son Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. I'm not trying to give you depression or despair or suffering or agony. I'm inviting you to a life of fellowship with God and with God's people. That will bring a fullness of joy into your life. A tragedy that has occurred in America and in American churches. And really all churches all over the world for that matter. That religion can be a very brutal thing. And some of the most horrific abuses that people have suffered. Have suffered at the hands of religious people. And I would pray with all of my heart. That we as believers. Would invite people. To real and everlasting joy. And that the church would characterize that. That it wouldn't be, you know, please understand me. But it it just wouldn't be this high and holy place, you know. I got to look a certain way. My wife dresses me on Sunday mornings. I dress me on Monday mornings. For the men at Bible, that's me. You don't have to dress up like this. You don't have to pretend. If you want to do something really radical today, start showing kindness to people. This is an angry world. A bitter world. And when you begin to return ugliness with kindness, I guarantee you, you will be a unique individual. People like to yell, they like to fight, they like to complain, they like to murmur. There might be people that are visiting this church and coming to this church from other places. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what it was like. I don't want gossip here. I don't want us to slander each other. I don't want to look for your faults. 
I don't want you to look for other people's faults. I don't want you to try to parade yourself as being so great by standing on the bodies of people that you found yourself better than. I don't want that here. I want us to be loving and kind. I want us to be gracious. I want us to walk in fellowship together with God. Believing that our God has the ability to sanctify us and conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Because I don't want you to be like me. I know me. I don't want you like your pastor. And you say, well, I don't know if I should go to a church like that. Go where you want. I hope wherever you go, you don't want to be like him. I hope you want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. The church world has become so cruel. It's become so harsh. It's become ugly. We brought in so many rituals. We brought in so many standards. That we've kind of pulled grace out. To bring these guardrails in. So that we can be different than society. Love your enemies. And you will be different than society. Do good to those that use you. Bless those who curse you. And you will be different than the society. When someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other also. You will be different than society. When someone asks you for your cloak, Or your coat, give them your scarf as well. You will be different from the rest of society. And don't give the pretense that becoming a Christian and following Jesus has zapped the joy out of your life. Just tell people that you haven't come to the place of following him yet. But you believe that he's worth following. But when you follow Jesus, exploit the joy and the liberty and the love and the kindness of what it's like to walk with the Lord. The Lord who covers those that have fallen, the Lord who heals those that are broken, the Lord who releases those that are held captive. And when you learn things about people, Your heart breaks with them and your heart breaks for them and your faith will not stop till they stand in the victory of whatever it is you've learned that they will know that they are welcome. They are welcome. I pray that we would guard this in our church. I pray that we would not Have murmuring and fighting and division and strife. But love and kindness and unity by the Holy Spirit. And let us throw a big net out there. If there are those that don't want to come and they make their excuses. Keep the doors open for them. But go after the ones that don't even know that they can. And if they knew that they could, oh God, they would. They would come. They would be followers of the Lamb. 
delivered from oppression and poverty, loved even though they were deformed and ugly. They would love Jesus with such an affection that nothing would ever come between them and their Lord. Nothing. And you may ask him, why do you love Jesus so much? Because he forgave me so much. Because he loved me so much. I love him. I pray that that would be an opportunity for us to invite people in. There's another passage that alludes to some of these things. I'm not going to read it, but it's at the wedding feast. And there's a man there that has the wrong wedding garment on. The father dealt with that. The father dealt with that. There'll certainly be people that come and go. And the father will deal with those that have the wrong wedding garment. It's not for us to judge that. But it's for us to lead people to Jesus Christ. And to stand upon his word with no compromise. To teach the truth and lead all men to Christ. And to help them have faith and hope in God through his Holy Spirit. To love people enough to share the truth openly. Unapologetically. So that they have the opportunity To not only go to a feast, but to be a bride joined to Jesus Christ forever and ever. I want you to stand with me. I want to ask you this morning if you would consider somebody in your life, somebody in your world that maybe you've passed up time and again. They don't even know you're a Christian. They've never been invited. They've never been witnessed to. They've hardly ever been prayed for. This is not to condemn you or me. But it's to stir us up right now just to a moment of prayer. That God would, that we would hear the Lord just sending us, go. Go to the highways, go to the hedges, go to the byways, the alleyways. The poor, the blind, the halt, the lame. They can all come. The Father's not embarrassed of them. He's not ashamed to have them there. I want my house full. Because I'm going to clothe them. I'm going to give them beauty. I'm going to make them glorious. It's going to be a beautiful feast, a beautiful wedding. You just bring them to me. Bring them to me. I'll deal with it. I'm asking you right now, Because it's going to take a lot of courage from the Holy Spirit to live this way. We need the courage of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of religious people. They're just not interested in more. There's a lot of lost people that don't even know where to begin. They don't know that there's anything. Would you ask the Lord to give you the eyes to see them? Come on, would you just respond to the Lord? Maybe draw near to God in this altar and just begin to pray and intercede for them. It could be a son, it could be a daughter, it could be a grandchild. You say, I don't know what to say to them. I'm scared, I don't want to lose them. And come ask the Lord to help you. Come ask the Lord to help you, to explain to them and to share with them that they can come. Are you scared of the homeless? 
Are you scared of the travelers? Are you scared of the crime? We're here for this. Not to hide from it. But to be the solution to it. We're here to walk in the supernatural, the divine protection of the Lord. Walking in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, I don't know. If I give some of these people that I see on the streets money, I don't know what they will do with it. That's true. You don't know. But give it to Jesus. Whenever you saw me naked, you clothed me. When you saw me in prison, you visited me. When you saw me homeless, you gave me shelter. When did we do this for you, Lord? When you did it for the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. Love your neighbor as yourself. 